Do you live to eat or do you eat to live? Do you dream of eating or even getting a reservation at the world's top-rated restaurants? Do you book your vacation around a particular restaurant? Do you have the urge to eat your way through a city or a country? Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon-Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined by the snowbound Barbados Flash via the Big Apple Dave Cumberbatch. <laughs> please, uh, please don't mention snow and Barbados in the same sentence. <laughs> for, 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 for those of you who don't know, Dave lives out on Long Island and he's been shoveling snow for a week now and he's about to have to do it again, so I'm just laughing. Oh, man. And you know what? That's why I'm so excited about what we're going to discuss today. Food as a travel destination. You know, Michael, I I had never heard about that, that folks choose a destination because of the restaurant or food. So so this is go- this is really going to be some fun for me just to listen and learn more. Well, you're you're also a cook, so maybe you can relate to it better than I uh, the non uh, uh, culinary person that I am. The only thing I'm good at is eating, so our guest fits in right perfectly with me because I'm not cooking <laughs> a damn thing. I I'll go eat, but, uh, you know. But as regards to booking it as a destination, I. I never thought about that. And, you know, in my 40, 50 years of traveling the world, I never thought get the restaurant first and then deal with the the other amenities of travel, like the hotel and the airfare. So that's that's an interesting perspective. And uh, I'm certainly is forward to exploring. Yes. So uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to jump in. But before we get to all that, let me do my normal housekeeping notes. You can catch our podcast at TripCast360.com or wherever you get your podcast. We are on every single platform imaginable from uh, the iTunes to the iHeartRadio to Spotify to Google, Amazon, which is a new uh, podcasting platform. We're on there as well. So uh, feel free to share, like, subscribe, and invite your friends and family to um, uh, follow us. And we would certainly like to have you around. And uh, Dave, why don't you hit them up with our social media? And yes, we are on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and uh, LinkedIn. And you can follow us, like us, message us, and, and tag us. Uh, also, to begin receiving our newsletter, please go to tripcast360.com and sign up. It has lots of great information, including travel deals that you might want to consider for your next uh, trip. Nice, nice, nice. Now, uh, let me get to the best part of the show, and that's our guest. That's right. uh, we get to talk about food, something I'm very good at, eating as, <laughs> as it is. Um, if you're like most of us planning that next vacation, food, while absolutely necessary, is typically not the first thing you think about when making those travel plans. Our guest today begs to differ. For frequent followers of this podcast, you might remember Jamie Edwards from our season one episode, I Am Lost and Found, where we discussed, among other things, her luxury travel exploits. She's back this time to discuss food as a travel destination. Yes, you heard that right. Jamie will often book the dinner reservation before purchasing airline tickets or making hotel reservations. Many of her choices for restaurants are booked months in advance and require a little nimble sleuthing just to get in. And believe us when we tell you, the places Jamie books to eat are among the best and hottest dining experiences in the world. Jamie, welcome back to TripCast 360. Thank you both. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Thank you for inviting me. 
Oh well, you know, we you you got our favorite subject, food. So you know, you you were destined <laughs> to come back anyway. So we just would let you know that right now. Well, great. I'm happy to talk about it. And Jamie, as as Michael mentioned earlier, I love to cook. I've always loved food. At home, I do the things that every foodie does. I cook elaborate five course meals for my friends. I watch the cooking channel and dream of another life in which I might want to become a chef. But what I find amazing that culinary travel has grown rapidly in popularity in recent years, and you have jumped wholeheartedly on the bandwagon, haven't you? That's right. Um, in fact, up until a few years ago, I had never even heard of the term destination dining. And only when I read an article, I believe it was May of 2019 in the New York Times, that spoke about people who would scour the um, top 50 restaurant, the San Pellegrino Restaurant Awards, mm -hmm. and they would find the hottest restaurants in the world. They would book it and then they would build their trip around it. And my first thought when I read that article was that I was not alone out there, that there were other <laughs> people like me who loved food so much that they were willing to build their vacation around it. So I think the first time that happened for us, uh, my husband and I were are big fans of the Netflix show Chef's Table, which is this wonderful documentary, but shot in a, I guess you could almost call it like the Nat Geo of food styled uh, documentaries, beautiful footage, uh, and they highlight chefs from all over the world. So I believe we were watching one. It was uh, late, late at night and we were watching one about Francis Melman, who is a very celebrated chef in South America. And he has multiple restaurants, uh, but they were speaking about one of his called uh, Siete Fuegos, uh, for, forgive my uh, bad Spanish, which means seven fires. And... Each of the fires that he has at this restaurant all do different things with the food. It's really intriguing uh, how he cooked. So we went right to the computer after the show was over and we Googled it and found out that he had this lovely lodge out in Mendoza in the wine country of Argentina. And we right then and there booked it uh, and we didn't think about the flights yet. We just were very happy to get the hotel and the restaurant. And by spring, we had were eating at his restaurant and living the chef's table that we had just watched. This is really the, the beginning of this sort of obsession. You said that your husband, Daniel, at first didn't understand why anyone would be intrigued by, by um, booking a, a, a vacation based on a restaurant. He thought that no one would even be interested in reading that exactly but, uh, but, but he was wrong <laughs> yes yes i was just gonna say oh spoken like the true wife okay <laughs> i was just gonna say that because it seemed as though that eventually he jumped on board with you he did uh in fact i think he just likes to tease me because i think he realizes how expensive it becomes to watch those chef's tables and made him a bit nervous uh but it was thankfully a great experience 
uh, doing it that way. Uh, we, we went as a family and we had a wonderful time and the food in Argentina overall, it was one exciting uh, experience after another. But it reminds me too that you, that you bring up Daniel, uh, that one of the other times I'd say that I really jumped on this destination dining idea was also based on a chef's table about uh, the chef of Pujol, uh, who is a very celebrated chef in, in Mexico City and has a second restaurant that opened a few years ago in New York City called Cosme. But at the time, I believe Pujol was uh, the one that they were talking about in the show. And we were both watching that. And my husband had spent quite a bit of time uh, in a gap year outside of Mexico City. So he has a real affinity towards Mexican food and Mexico itself. So we watched the episode and I heard him say, wow, that would really be an incredible restaurant to go to. They had some mole that was a thousand year old mole, something like that. And I thought that does not sound exciting, but I, <laughs> it's an appetizing I'll on take a surface. chance on that. Uh, eating anything that's a thousand years old did not sound appealing. <laughs> uh, so I gave it. So after the episode, my wheels started turning in my brain and he had a birthday coming up. And I just started to do some research and all the kind of stars aligned. His birthday fell on a Saturday. Uh, we had a lot of airline miles. There was a direct flight from DC to Mexico City. And I had some people who could take care of the kids. And before I knew it, I was coming up with a plan for his birthday to fly him to Mexico City for dinner for his birthday. The only problem was I did not have the reservation. And Pujol at the time may have been the 10th or the 12th best restaurant in the world. And I thought, how am I going to get this reservation uh, in time? So I gave it some thought and I called up a hotel in Mexico City, the one I would like to stay at. And I spoke to the concierge and I said, I'd like to come and stay at your hotel, but I'm coming because I'd like to go to a particular restaurant but I don't want to book the hotel until we have the restaurant. Could you please help? Uh, and I will tell you that he was more than happy to help. And especially since I don't speak Spanish, that would have been a bit of a barrier for me calling the restaurant directly. And within a week, he had secured the reservation for me. And then I went ahead and booked the hotel, booked the flight <laughs> and surprised him about, it was only then about two weeks later, surprised him with 36 hours in Mexico City. And oh, it was very exciting. Although I will say that um, <laughs> I was a little deflated in one sense. We get to the restaurant, we have this lovely meal. We were very excited. Uh, I was really excited to tell the waiter about how we came to be at Pujol to say, maybe you want to mention to the chef that we saw you on chef's table and we booked it immediately. And we flew here because of Netflix and chef's table. And I was about to tell our waiter when the couple next to us told their waiter that exact story. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe it. They were only there because they had seen Netflix, seen Chef's Table, and they wanted to meet the chef. So I was completely not alone in what I did. Uh, and I guess Chef's Table has really uh, spurred that phenomenon even more. Uh, but the meal was really fantastic and we had a great time and he was very surprised. 
Wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. And just in case those of you listening missed it, tip number one, call the concierge at the hotel that you're going to stay at first before you book the hotel. That'll give them a little incentive to, you know, get off their backside and go get you that reservation. Not to mention the fact that it probably sounds better coming from a local. Exactly. And also from a, from maybe a highly regarded hotel right. and to also make sure uh, that you've, in my case, I sought out that concierge when we did arrive and, you know, let him know how happy we were with his help. So he did, uh, we made it worth his while because it wouldn't have happened without him. And yeah. uh, it really was uh, one of those things that I think both of us will always remember just one of those trips. It was a whirlwind uh, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So it was just a quick turnaround, the food, maybe a, an extra day or so there and then back. Yeah, exactly. Um, we, our kids, I mean, our kids were taken care of by some friends. We didn't want to put them out for too long, but it was sort of a, a really whimsical way to celebrate a birthday. Uh, again, the, the miles helped, of course, the timing worked out well. Uh, but it was one of those things that we'll both remember. Right. And going back to Siete Fuegos, I think I said that right. Uh, I, by the way, I am, taking, I am taking Spanish lessons right now as we speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> Now I'm beyond I'm beyond Spanglish. Now I got a girl I got a girlfriend whose whose first language is Spanish because she was born in Spain. So I don't get away with Spanglish. I get, I have All to right. speak the real deal. Um, right. uh, Siete Fuegos. Uh, how did that evolve? And, and what I mean by that is how long in advance did you have to start with your nimble sleuthing, as I called it in the intro, to get in? Because I know a lot of the places that you book are booked months in advance. That's correct. In this particular case, what really helped is that Siete Fuegos is part of a resort. So because we were staying at the resort for a week, we were able to get all that re those reservations. Okay. Uh, so that made that was definitely helpful. And I do think in some cases where some of these restaurants are affiliated with a hotel, that is definitely an in that one can take. Right. Uh, but for instance, in, a, in another case, we uh, were on our way to South Africa one year. We knew we were going to South Africa with the kids. And this is kind of what I like to do is I, I go through the San Pellegrino list, which is the list of the top 50 restaurants in the world. And whenever we plan a trip somewhere, another thing I do is I go through that list and I see if any of the places we're going to be have one of those restaurants. And in this case, there is a restaurant called the Test Kitchen, which is, uh, I'd say, uh, I don't know what number that is now. It could be like 20 or 22 in the world. And I knew that was a very challenging restaurant to get into. And that was another case where I used the concierge of the hotel we were staying in because another uh, barrier with that in particular was that there was an enormous time difference and to get onto, and I believe that they were on open table or a platform like that, but I would have had to set my alarm for one o'clock in the morning and try really hard to refresh and refresh and get in at the uh, exact moment. So it was another chance to use the concierge of a hotel who was really more than willing to help facilitate it. I don't think enough people realize that they have this sort of gem in their back pocket with the, with the concierge who wants to help. Right. And the thing about 
I, I'm looking at the San uh, Pellegrino list right now. I have it pulled up on my screen here. And I'm looking at all these restaurants and some of them like change positions or there's new offerings that come online and replace old offerings or they change their cuisine or unfortunately in the time of COVID, maybe even some of them have shut down. Do you kind of like keep an eye on this list on a continuous basis just to say, hey, I can go there for vacation, but let's eat first? I do. I do keep an eye on it. I did notice that... I believe they're postponing the awards for 2020 because of COVID. Uh, so they're not coming out with a new list, right. but I do keep track of it. And somewhat embarrassingly, I think that this uh, ticking off the list sort of came to me when I lived in New York City many years ago and uh, couldn't really afford to eat out very much at all. But I would get the Zagat guides, the dining guides uh, for New York City every year. And every year I would see how many I could get through and I would tick, tick, tick along the way. <laughs> I mean, I'm really, it's, it's very uh, kind of embarrassing, but I will admit it here. Uh, and they also had, I believe, a top 50. And I would see each year how many I could get to. And they did kind of change positions every year. Or so some stayed at the top. Uh, same with Sam Pellegrino. Uh, but I do truly enjoy uh finding destination restaurants, seeking them out and trying to get those coveted reservations uh, the best I can. And I, I do not always get them, believe me, but I work very hard to try. <laughs> well, that, that test kitchen that you've discovered in uh, South Africa, uh, just so you know how hard this is to get into, uh, I read someplace that they turned down celebrities, real big name celebrities like Ellen DeGeneres and others who don't get- Jamie is a celebrity. So Jamie is a celebrity. <laughs> well, I guess what's kind of nice is that really uh, they level the playing field. I did hear that story about Ellen DeGeneres as well. And I thought, I admire that a restaurant won't give uh, priority just because of who That's you right. are. That you all have to play by the same rules. That's but right. I do think that playing by the rules is the way you get the reservation. So or I should <laughs> say follow the rules because I think that uh, many restaurants have different uh, methods of getting a reservation, even if they are on open table, which even I think Pujol is on uh, open table as well. But some restaurants have a month to the day at 9 a.m., the test kitchen strangely opened reservations four times a year for th each of the three month sector. So you could sign up on March 1st for the subsequent three months. And then that was it. And it, I probably went in about 10 minutes, all those reservations are gone. And then you had to wait another three months unless there was a cancellation. So I think knowing the rules of the restaurant that you want to get into is very important because they change and they're different. <laughs> and then in your case, sitting on the phone at the exact hour with the time zone change from DC to uh, uh, South Africa to make the phone call. Exactly. Or to sit there on your computer at one o'clock in the morning, just waiting to see if a time opened. So, uh, but those are the kinds of things that I do not mind doing. And I'm sure a lot of people would not enjoy or mind doing. In today's environment, Jamie, where folks are more health conscious um, and, you know, there are this group of people, I think you would mention it in one of your articles, who live to eat as opposed to eating to live. What consideration do you put into choosing your restaurants considering um, health, health concerns? Oh, that's a good question. Um... 
When you say health concerns, you mean um in terms of whether they use a lot of salt, they use a lot oh, of I those see. types of things, yeah. Uh I don't think I give that much consideration. I feel, <laughs> I do feel that most restaurants, uh, especially today, are considerate of all different types of eaters. So vegans, vegetarians, uh, gluten-free, which I think has changed a lot over the past couple of decades in a great way. Uh, even a lot of restaurants that I like to go to a restaurant that gives me a set menu that I don't get a lot of choices. I like to be surprised. But these days I've noticed that even with a set menu, uh, a fixed menu, that they will be very conscientious of someone who has allergies or doesn't eat fish or meat. Uh, so I think that restaurants have come a really long way for making considerations for people. I do love trying everything, even when it's something that I have a preconceived notion of hating, because a lot of these restaurants um, on the high end side, especially, I feel that uh, they've done the legwork. They've worked hard to make these uh, creations, and I would like to give it the benefit of the doubt and, and give it a try. Uh, there have been times where we've done a 20 course tasting menu and maybe nice. a few of them have not been <laughs> to my taste, but I think the experimentation is exciting. I, uh, I enjoy that aspect of it very much. Hey, Dave, I think I think she spends more time looking at the wine list than she does looking at the uh, health concerns. <laughs> at, at the health concerns, yeah. <laughs> that is true. I mean, that question throws me because I definitely don't look look for that. But I will say I went somewhere recently with a friend of mine who is a vegan and has been for many years. And we decided to share all of our meals. So I became vegan for three days. Uh, and loved every minute of it. I was really pleasantly surprised by how wonderful the food was. I didn't miss, I didn't miss anything. So I, I think that there is room for all of it, uh, and, and experimentation. I I want to know how, I want to know how you handle something. Well, I, I think it was either in the Grand Cayman or Jamaica. I don't remember which one, but this was a top-end Michelin-rated high restaurant. And I remember they brought me in for this meal, and it was just me and three other people. They basically closed the restaurant for us. They gave us a different wine with every single course. After three days of this, <laughs> I was tired of drinking wine. And I even told the maitre d', I said, if you bring me one more glass <laughs> of wine, I am going to effing scream. I said, what? Is, and I asked him, I said, what is your most expensive rum? And he told me what the name of it was. And I had him pour the rum. I said, if you put a wine in front of me, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I never have that problem. <laughs> Well, you need to go to McDonald's, Michael. Come on. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my cholesterol doesn't need that. <laughs> We're talking luxury here, all right? <laughs> oh, I God. like the wine pairing. Uh, we, my husband and I, every time we have a chance where we have a, a fixed menu and they give us the option of the wine pairing, we say yes, because we also believe that there's so much diversity in the meals that they're giving us, all the different courses, that one wine, as you probably know, Michael, from your experience, although you do seem a little scarred by it, uh, <laughs> is that they know what wine goes well with each course. So if you're having right. oysters first, That's right. but then you're yeah. moving on to um, lamb later, those are not going to be the same wines that go well with that. That's right. But I have more than once had a stack of glasses, ha 
half drunk of each one because <laughs> I, otherwise, I mean, I'd be on the floor, wouldn't remember any of the meal. But I, I think, do enjoy that aspect. I think I think that was my problem. They were half drunk glasses. I wanted to finish before I started the next one. <laughs> Which a lot of people do. I'll ask you a crazy question. What's the most expensive wine you've ever tasted? Oh, the most expensive wine I've ever tasted. Oh, um, I would say that probably a Mouton Rothschild. Wow. From 1970, which was my birth year. Uh, nice. That was um, a bottle that I believe, and I think this is crazy, was found in my dad's wine cellar in Vermont, uh, among a couple of other ones that he did not know he had. That uh-huh. could be the most expensive one. Wow. Uh, but I, with wine, um, also like to be completely experimental. I like okay. wine from Lebanon. I like wines from Spain, Portugal. I'm an equal opportunity wine taster, drinker. <laughs> Although my preference is red and my preference is California, if I had to. Same pick. here, same, same here. Uh, same. But I'm very much lately into Italian, big Italian reds, the Super Tuscans. But that's a different episode. I feel like that's a different episode. Oh, we're we're, we're <laughs> going to have that episode too, by the way. <laughs> but we love the wine pairings. And that's something that uh, we think really goes hand in hand with the experience. And I guess I will say that that's how really I consider food as an experience. Sitting down with friends, family, at a restaurant or at home. But I like a meal to be the um, event of the evening uh, in every possible way. And I've, I've always enjoyed that. Uh, I don't need to go to a movie theater. I don't need to do, I like having a event of a meal. And maybe that is why I get so excited and interested by these restaurants around the world that are all doing unique things, all different ethnicities. One of the top restaurants in the world right now, and I'm gonna pronounce it wrong, is called Gagan. And I believe he's a, it's either Indian or Thai. And that's sort of on my hit list for the future. Okay. Uh, might be number three or four right now. And we saw a chef's table naturally uh, about it. And I think a lot of my inspiration for food right now kind of comes out of that show and from that list. Just, just so our listeners know before, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, Dave, Guy Gan that uh, Jamie's referring to is actually in Bangkok, Thailand. And okay. it is number five on the list right now, according to my list. And it looks like this is a 2019 list. So I'm about a year behind. Well, they don't have the 2020 list yet. Yeah. So, Is that why in one of your articles, you, you, you said that food is more exciting than stocks? <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> I, I, I got I to sell my stocks. <laughs> I thought That's it was funny. very, I, I thought that was a very interesting observation on your part. It is for me. It is for me. Uh, it's a it's a total pleasure, a guilty pleasure for me. And uh, unlike you, I, I I do not love to cook. So okay. when I do cook, it's very homey, chilly. Look at Michael. Uh, he's all. You see, if <laughs> if the listeners could see Michael, he's just jumping. No, nah, I'm not cooking. I'm I'm with her. I'm not cooking. I like cozy, homey food at home. But when I go out, I like to sort of do something different. Although I will mention that some of our best meals have not been these over the top fancy ones. They have many of them are hole in the walls that we find in 
the Lonely Planet guidebook in a sidebar that says if you're in, uh, in this particular case, it was Cartagena, don't miss out on. Yeah. And we went to a place called La Cervicheria, which was uh, a, in a back alley in Cartagena with traffic cones out front. It was picnic table style. And it was one of the best ceviches we've had ever. Mm. And I still think about it to this day. And it was nothing fancy about it. They had saltine crackers prepackaged in plastic plastic spoons, but just uh, over-the-top outrageous uh, ceviche. Wow. Wow, wow. I, I, I read that you got your start. I don't want to say your start, but you kind of got this taste for uh, cuisine as part of your travel experience when you got engaged to your husband. Yes, that was. That's right. But that's Spain, uh, yeah. It was. It was in Spain. We... Uh, <laughs> It was, we, it, we had just gotten engaged. We had flown over. We had just gotten engaged and we were in San Sebastian and it was pouring with rain. It was terrible weather. And we, it was the middle of the day and we thought, where are we going to go for lunch? We were kind of soaked through. Uh, and we looked in the Lonely Planet guidebook and there was a sidebar that said that the, the best restaurant in all of Spain was pretty much down the street from where we were staying. Uh, which was a youth hostel. We were staying in a small youth hostel in San Sebastian. So we called them and they said, we are, we're booked solid. Little did we know it was probably in the top 20 restaurants of the world at the time. This was 20 years ago. And we said, okay, that's uh, too bad. No, no dinner reservations are fully booked. And then a moment later she said, but we have a cancellation right now for lunch this minute. And we thought, fantastic, we will go. Uh, we didn't even shower. We were in wet clothes. We went over to the restaurant and everyone looked beautifully decked out. And we come in kind of like drowned rats <laughs> and it's incredibly fancy. And we proceeded to have, I think was probably our first long boozy lunch of our, our married life or our, at least we're engaged at that point. And we had about a three hour lunch we did the wine tasting. We did the full menu. We left there not remembering if we even paid for it. And we were lucky because the Arzac was there himself and we got to meet him. And it was definitely the kickoff to a long life of eating and drinking uh, throughout the world. <laughs> By the way, Arzac is still on the list. According to what, it. Yeah, the one I'm looking at right now has it rated as 31 Good. I, it, that's there. 20 years. That's yeah. uh, pretty good. <laughs> I, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm scanning this list right now just to, uh, uh, amazed. Uh, ha have you looked at the list lately or have any other places besides, I think, Gagan that you had on your radar? Um, I, Hisa Franco is on my list. That's in Slovenia. I don't know if that's on the list. Uh, Alinea in Chicago, which I don't even think with any... Uh, powers I might have with my tips and tricks. I am not convinced I could ever get into Alinea. Uh, it is, I think, one of those coveted reservations, but I will try. You're a celebrity, Jamie. Come on, Dave told you you were a celebrity. Yeah, I'll, celebrity. I'll drop my name and I'll see what happens. Uh, but I will say that it is really easy to get uh, kind of uh, distracted by all the beauty of the TV show of Chef's Table and for me, it's a, 
I mean, to use a word, I think people, it's like food porn, they pr practically call it. It's just like, you know, people just, uh, it's, it's like, a, you can't even explain how exciting it is to watch that in my shoes and then say, I want to go to the computer. I want to book it right now. <laughs> but I do stop myself. You shared one of your stories, very interesting, how you were able to, to get to a hotel by how, how to get a restaurant before you book your hotel. But you also shared some uh, other experiences uh, across the world of how you were able to do that. I find that each one seems to be unique in its own way. Can you, can you share some of those other experiences? And I'll, I'll give you one. There's one you mentioned about 11 Madison Park Avenue in New York City. Yes. Uh, so that was an interesting one because 11, 11 Madison Park at that, that year was rated number one in the world. And I thought to myself, this would be a real, this would be really bucket list to be able to eat at number one. Uh, and it was another one of those cases where the stars somewhat aligned. Uh, we live a really short distance from New York City, really. It's a, a 40 minute flight or a three hour train. So a few girlfriends and I decided to go to spend a couple days in New York. And I really had my heart set on trying to get this reservation. So they were a bit flexible with their dates, which was great. I looked at 11 Madison Park and the way that they get reservations is that you have to book a month to the day at 9 a.m. And I thought even with that, it's still very hard to have your finger on the trigger at the exact moment. But I did notice that if we wanted to eat at 11 Madison Park on February 1st, that we could book it on January 1st at 9 a.m., and I kind of had in my mind that a lot of people might be asleep at 9 a.m. on New Year's Day. Uh, and maybe that there'd be less people out there trying to secure that reservation. So sure enough, I and also I made sure that uh, I believe it's a ticket restaurant where you pay in advance. So you have to register with 11 Madison Park and be ready. So I had done all that in advance. And when 9 a.m. came or a few minutes before I clicked and Lo and behold, uh, a reservation popped up. I grabbed it. You do have to pay for it in full, which is a little unnerving when I wasn't 100% sure my friends could make that date, but I was pretty convinced. And You would have found some new friends if you couldn't. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. <laughs> so, uh, but it was exciting. I think that that was a tactic I hadn't thought of before, that you can work backwards from a date if you have the flexibility to do so towards something like that, where you feel that people might not be uh, in a position to be awake or it's a holiday. And I think that that it worked for us. So it's one, one tip. Wow. Well, 11 Madison Park is still in the top five, according to this list. Like I said, it's a year old since they didn't do one for last year yet, but uh, it's, it's still up there. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering just on a, uh, as an aside with what's going on with COVID, uh, I'm wondering if some of the luxury restaurants that you've gone to in the past, especially those based in the U.S., are, are still open. I don't know. And I thought about looking that up, in fact. Uh, I think some have changed their models a bit. Uh, I And I do believe that even 11 Madison Park had shut down for a while. Uh, and you, you hear about the celebrity chefs, of course, uh, Jose Andres, who does so much uh, helping helping out during this time and through any other world disasters. So he's really an admirable man. 
Uh, he lives here in DC, I believe. And sometimes we see him down the street at our local, uh, our local fish market buying fish. Uh, we, I, we really admire him. Uh, but I think that, yes, the, the restaurant world has changed. And I'm curious too about how uh, people will, will go back when they go back. Mm-hmm. And maybe it will be even easier to get some of these reservations for people who don't mind going out to eat because less people will be trying to get these reservations. So there might be a ramp up again. Right. Dave, Dave, didn't they just announce opening on Valentine's Day for like 25% capacity in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. The governor did. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm assuming 11 Madison Park will not have a hard time booking. (laughs) Exactly. And it's such a large open restaurant that they can really spread people out too. If they have to run it uh, 25% capacity anyway, it's such a, it's a spacious, cavernous, beautiful room. Uh, I, I've really, really enjoyed it. I don't think I'll ever go back, get to go back, but. Well, what did you, well, you've mentioned getting in, but what did you eat while you were there? Oh, well, you know, these are the things I should really take better notes on because when you're pairing with that wine, with every course, you start to forget (laughs) what you're eating. Uh, (laughs) I do remember, uh, I do remember loving everything I ate, uh, but I don't remember details of everything I ate. I, I really wish I was better at taking notes, but I, but I didn't. But I remember I remember a lot of the little things. There are so many uh, small things that come between the courses or the multi-course dessert. It's not just a single dessert. There's three or four courses of dessert. Uh, lots of little surprises along the way. And again, this is a case where it's a very expensive meal. Uh, and I understand that not everyone in the world likes to spend their hard-earned money on food that they have other places. But for me, that is definitely one of my vices. You list this nine, I think, I believe there were nine rules that you followed. These restaurants can be extremely difficult to get in. Uh, Please keep updating those rules. I'm certain that our audience, I'm certain that our audience will benefit <laughs> tremendously from them. But but you actually listed nine. Um, I'm not sure if you want to talk a bit about those rules. Sure. Well, there I don't rules, I think I think of them more as the tips I use and the tricks I use to try to get restaurants. And I, I do this even for restaurants here in DC for ones that I would like to get into. For instance, if all of the platforms like Open Table or Talk, if it has them fully booked, sometimes I pick up the phone and I call and they have held back some slots for people to either walk in or to call. So that has worked for me many times. Uh, what also has worked for me is sometimes I get stuck with like a six o'clock reservation or a 530, which is not really when I would love to eat at some of these restaurants, but I book it anyway. And then I call a few weeks later and I keep kind of pushing it up and they do allow me to say, well, would you take seven instead of six? And they say yes. And then maybe a week later, I'm like, what, 730 work? So sometimes I do creep up into the time slot I'd prefer. You are so Uh, good. (laughs) uh, Because sometimes you go on and they only have five or 10 p.m. And while I used to be able to eat at 10 p.m., I don't like to eat at 10 p.m. now. Uh, but I also don't want to eat at 5 p.m. So that's definitely one. Another one I would say is um, sometimes I mark my calendar. 
So if I know that the reservation for a particular restaurant is going to open on February 15th, I mark my calendar for that date, for that time, and I just get ready and uh, to make that reservation, which works really well. Uh, another thing that I do is I kind of I'm flexible sometimes if we're going to a destination somewhere in the world and I can't get in for dinner, I change it up and I ask if they have any lunch slots available. And oftentimes they do. And the experience for lunch can be equally wonderful. Uh, it mm. doesn't just have to be dinner. So sometimes I will, for lack of a better word, settle for lunch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and th those are really, uh, those are my the biggest ones I could think of off the top of my head, as far as the ones that we talked about earlier. One other thing I may have already mentioned is about creating any accounts in advance. That really is helpful because if you get on the computer at the right time to book the reservation, but then they need all your credit card information, you're going to lose it. You're going to lose your, your time. Right, right, right. Now, you had mentioned during your list of that you don't like to eat late at night. What do you do? Like, I know in Europe and Spain in particular, you know, this is going back to my childhood. A lot of the restaurants in Spain didn't even open up until 9 p.m. Yes, that is. Uh, and I'm like, what you, did I you can't do? stand eating late at night. So if I eat at 10 o'clock at night, I'm going to be up to four or five o'clock in the morning, just waiting for my stomach to digest all that food I just put down. I don't know. I guess that's why they take so many, they take siestas. That that has happened to us in the past. So when we went to Argentina, another restaurant, it might be on that list, the San Pellegrino list is called Teggy. Uh, and we were told that that was a restaurant that we should go to. And we could only get a 10 o'clock reservation and we decided to take it. And it was a three hour meal. So we were leaving at um, one in the morning and people were still coming in for dinner, which was I couldn't even fathom coming in for dinner at one o'clock in the morning, but it was very typical in uh, Buenos Aires. So I later looked at Google has a feature where you can see where each restaurant has their busiest time of day. There's a graph for each restaurant. And when I looked at Teggy, I think midnight was their was the peak. That was their busiest time. So it's quite, as you mentioned, uh, Michael, it is quite different there. Yeah, it it, uh, it it just it it's disconcerting. It just throws off your entire system. And you know, I remember the siestas in Spain when I was a kid. I was the only American on the street as a six year old while they were all sleeping during the middle of the daytime. But they certainly made up for it at night. And my dad was right with them. No, oh, that's but that's I guess that when you grow up in that life, that's what you're accustomed to. Right. Well, speaking of Tuggy, Tuggy is not one of those places that's on the beaten path. I think you wrote in one of your stories about how hard it was to find and it was kind of hidden in, in Buenos Aires and stuff like that. Tell us about that experience. I think Dave will get a kick out of that. Well, first of all, I like the way you said Buenos Aires. It sounds oh, like thank you. <laughs> he Buenos he's, Aires. He's, <laughs> he's practicing. practicing. He's practicing. When <laughs> uh, Teggy was recommended by a friend of mine who here in DC, who is from Argentina. So we had had a little bit of advanced knowledge and I believe she may have gotten us the reservation because she dated the chef's son. So that was you know, just gratuitous. Oh, that's what I uh, Okay. But it was behind a wall of graffiti. It was a, like a metal door with a tiny, tiny word Teggy on it that you would miss, especially at night. And the entire wall is uh, covered in graffiti. And like I said, very hard to pass by and miss. 
especially at night, which is when we were going, it was pitch black uh, on a side street. But the great thing about this, um, these are what, this is why I love restaurants so much. You never know what's going to happen. You We open the door, it's this very dark, quiet side street, and you're just blown away with like noise, like ambiance and atmosphere and an entire glass wall of wine in this loungy, low-lit area. And everybody's incredibly glamorous there in Buenos Aires and dolled up and had this beautiful hush, but lively banter, just this convivial feeling. And it just made us want to sink in and stay. That's why our dinner took three, partly why our dinner took three hours. But the surprise behind the door is kind of what I'm getting at. Just, you don't know what's going to happen sometimes when you, when you open up that door. And we've had a few really amazing experiences where we have been uh, thrown or surprised in the past. And that is definitely one standout for me. Right. I, I, you mentioned something ambiance and atmosphere. I think that um, if you just are eating at a regular old restaurant that anybody can walk in the front door, you don't, you, you don't understand the ambiance that comes with some of the higher end properties that you like to visit to eat. There, there's always something for the eye to see. There's always yes. something mm-hmm. to smell. There's always some sort of entertainment in the background, even if it's watching the chefs prepare the meals. Um, is that something that that you kind of um, really appreciate now that you have done this more? Absolutely. I think, well, I was a designer most of my adult life. Uh, so I really appreciate the details when it comes to the food preparation and the art the way the food looks and the thought that goes into the flavors and putting together uh, everything that goes into a restaurant. Uh, You mentioned open kitchen, Michael, which is something that I happen to love seeing as popular style now to watch what's going on in the background and seeing the banter with the, the chef and the sous chef and the, and the line cooks. And there, there's so much to, to see and hear and, and taste. When we went to, I mentioned the test kitchen earlier on, uh, the test kitchen, we walk in and we were expecting to have a great meal. I mean, there was, there was no doubt we were going to enjoy it, but the night was a surprise in the sense that you walk in, the room is very dark, dark walls. It's very um, also low lit. People are sitting on little stools at cocktail tables and you have your a uh, server come over to you and hands handed us a rolled parchment with a string, which we opened and it was a map unfolded. And the map highlighted our first five bites, I guess you might call it, really? from all over the world and the inspiration for these bites. And that's where we had our first two drinks and five, you know, for bites is what they called it. And then they take us from this really dark room to our table and they open up this almost a hidden door with a small circle in it. And you walk into this light room and the whole room is, it's a different world from the one you just came from. Mm -hmm. High ceilings, open kitchen, brighter, livelier. And we had the rest of our meal there. And so I really loved the contrast between those two rooms and all the courses. And I do appreciate how much thought goes into making the experience so wonderful. Wow. Well, we're going to give you a map to the Cumberbatch 
it's it's a it's a restaurant out in Long Island that's really exclusive. You're gonna have to work really hard to find it. Um, because <laughs> I don't Dave, mind. Dave doesn't invite just anybody to experience his cuisine. So you and your celebrity status may get you in the front door. Right. How yeah. hard is it? How hard is it to get that reservation? And what time do I have to call? Well, uh, listen, you are the celebrity of celebrities for mm-hmm. Tripcast 360. So you just you just call and you get that reservation. Yeah, oh, di- di- dial 1-800-Cumberbatch. <laughs> Reservations are now being taken. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I like your approach on food. Eh? It actually taught me a whole lot. I mean, I, I, I read where you said that food takes you back I'm paraphrasing here. Food takes you back to your travels that, you know, you just remember that aroma and it takes you right back to those experiences. Absolutely. I'm the same way uh, for me, the same way a photograph does. And I am guilty of taking photos of food. Occasionally I try hard not to, because I feel that uh, I don't want it to get in the way of my, of the experience of eating, but sometimes the food is just so beautiful that you, and I, I'd like to remember it. Uh, and the chefs have given so much thought and time and effort to make it look as beautiful as it does. To me, they are works, many works of art. Yeah. For, for, for those of you who did not listen to the first podcast with Jamie, I am lust and found her photography is stunning. She is oh, yes. really, really good at photography. So for her to uh, put her camera down to eat, that says something <laughs> because she's good at photography as well. Um, <laughs> but I think and... I like eating more. <laughs> But well, that's good. In the in the time we have left, there's a couple other uh, stories you had shared with me. One was uh, your experience in France um, when you left your kids with the sitter, and you and your husband decided to dart out and go uh, uh, do some uh, restauranting. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a little bit of harrowing experience. Tell us more about that. I only hope my mother doesn't listen to this. Uh, thankfully, this was 10 years ago or more, and the kids are fine now. We had gone away with another family to uh, stay in an area of France called Mujan, which is just north of Cannes. And we had rented a villa there. And one of the restaurants we wanted to go to was called La Colombe d'Or, which was in Saint-Paul-de-Vence, about 45 minutes away from where our villa was. Between us, we had five kids, pretty young, I'd say seven and under. And we left them with a French babysitter. Uh, and there was, may have been, it wasn't quite pre-cell phone, but it wasn't exactly the way we are now being so connected. And we got into a taxi and we went out to Saint Paul de Vence and to have this beautiful, long, leisurely lunch. And we had just sat down, ordered a bottle of French wine and some food. And uh, one of our phones rings and it is the property manager saying that the panic button had gone off in the villa and they couldn't get in touch with anyone there. And we are 45 minutes away. That is scary. 45 minutes away with no way to contact the uh, villa. And so I would say it was the longest 15 minutes of my life at the restaurant trying to figure out how we can get in touch and what had happened, not knowing what the panic button meant. Uh, But once we finally found out that everything was okay and the kids were all fine, we ordered a second and a third bottle of wine immediately. And we uh, (laughs) 
cheers, cheered to having uh, everything be okay. But it was a, a harrowing 10 minutes waiting to make sure that everything was okay. We were very far by taxi and just, uh, it was a little bit of a lesson learned, I will say. Oh, wow. Wow. And, and one other destination near and dear to your heart is actually a place you lived uh, and had a, a fantastic culinary experience and that's Tokyo. Oh, that's right. We, um, we did eat really well through t- our years in Tokyo. And I m- may have said this uh, on the last podcast, but we had been living in New York City for many years and really f- felt that New York City was the culinary capital of the world. At least I did. And we had a Japanese tutor who told us that, wait till you get to Tokyo, the food's going to really blow the blow it out of the water compared to New York. And I definitely did not believe her and, you know, laughed to myself. But when we got to Tokyo, we did realize that the food was really, um, I'm not going to say it was better than New York, but it was equal in every way and really uh, inventive. So we did enjoy our our dinners there. One in particular uh, was a standout called Narisawa. And why it was a standout was, first of all, I I believe it may even be on the list now for uh, San Pellegrino, but I don't think it was then, is a room of white. Everything's white. Tablecloths, walls, waiters, waitstaff, everything was white. And what I do remember is that they served uh, us what looked like yeast and the bread grew at the table while we were sitting waiting for our courses, like the bread cooked in front of us from a, yeah, it was a truly incredible experience. It's one of those experiences where it's sort of chemistry and science all woven into food and uh, cuisine, which I find exciting. Wow. Narasawa, by the way, is on the list now. Um, oh, is it? Okay. Number, number 22. And by the way, Sam Pellegrini, you owe us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just putting just that out people. there for you now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely owe us. Uh, Jamie, I know you're doing some travel writing now. Um, tell us about some of your, uh, wh- where they can read some more about the, some of the stories that you're writing. Uh, well, I write for my website. It's called IamLostAndFound.com. And it is a co- kind of a compilation of not only luxury, but adventure and sort of the where those two bisect, uh, because I do like adventures, whether it's adventures in travel, adventures in food uh, on every level. Although we've talked quite a bit about the luxury end of it, there's so much, uh, so much in between. And there are so many factors that going into make, making a great meal a great meal that is well beyond the food even, as we talked about, atmosphere, uh, those types of things. Uh, so I, I'm still writing, even though uh, a lot of what I'm doing now is a little bit on hiatus, but still, still doing some writing and hoping next year we have some trips lined up for summer. And as I mentioned to you earlier, Antarctica for 2022. So starting to plan uh, yeah, I, I see that there's no restaurant in Antarctica on this list. Uh, <laughs> I, I think you need to go help them found one down there. Exactly. That is one place I was pretty convinced I was not going to find a food destination. Uh, but I'm still ex- very excited to go. I'm assuming we'll have lots of fresh fish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But I do have a few um, on my hit list, as I told you earlier, uh, Hisa Franco being one, Elenea. So I I do have in my back pocket, even though at the moment, most of the destination dining I'm doing is locally in my neighborhood, which I'm very happy to support our lovely local restaurants too. But I will be excited to get back out there and start eating my way around. Washington, D.C. actually has some really great culinary experiences um, you know, I guess all those rich people running around, around Washington, D.C. need a good, a good places to eat, too. And I, I, I've eaten at so many places in Washington, and I don't think I've ever been disappointed from the hole in the wall places to the you know five star restaurant. They've all been good. You're right. They do. The scene in uh, D.C. has really shifted over the past 10 years. Uh, it's amazing to me. Uh, the food food is great. We have a lot of really wonderful restaurants and we haven't really talked about Michelin very much. We've been focused on San Pellegrino, but Michelin guides here in DC came a few years ago. And uh, there's a lot of really wonderful restaurants, Tail Up Goat, Pineapple and Pearl, Rose's Luxury, uh, lots of wonderful places to eat here. We're spoiled. Yeah, you definitely are because there there is no place like uh, uh, Washington. You know, forget the political atmosphere; just the places to eat. There, there are really a lot of special places to to go. Um, uh, Dave, when are you going to open the Cumberbatch? Oh, it's already open. Uh, just waiting for the restrictions to be lifted and COVID. Did they, <laughs> Dave? Dave has a particular expertise in jerk chicken. And the other day he was, bur- he was, he, he said he was burning some ribs when I spoke to him on the phone, Jamie, but he was actually smoking the ribs. It's just, what are you going to pair that with though, David, you have to think about it. Oh, when you're doing Rump. ribs, I, I, I was just going to say that when you're doing ribs, you don't pair with wine. It's, it's going to be rum. Excellent. Yeah, it's going to be rum. It's going to be some good, strong rum. Good. I'll take your Maybe. word for it because that is not my my goat. I know nothing about rum, so I'd be oh, excited. Really? Mm. Okay. Listen, there there's some rums. Actually, there's a rum out of Jamaica. It's 150 proof. Oh wow! <laughs> Ooh, that's a hangover. <laughs> that's that's for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, Jamie. We know you. That's like not it. for me. I couldn't <laughs> handle it. Yeah, well, okay. Well, the next show that we're going to have you back on, so you may as well just start lining it up right now, is we're going to have a discussion about wines. And I don't want to have a sommelier on because they're going to tell you all the things that you want to hear about with the wine. I want to hear from somebody who, like me, has experienced 9,000 wines at a tasting and, you know, trying to, you know, because everybody's palate is a little bit different. I happen to not like dry wines. I'm not a fan of dry wine, but yet I've sat in enough restaurants that if the right meal is prepared, the dry wine actually works well with the food that comes out. So we we can have that discussion because I think it will be fascinating to hear it from somebody who actually drinks it as opposed to who actually serves it. Most certainly. I I agree because I really only drink things that I like and I believe that's what everybody should do. Just drink what you like. Uh, So super important to know what you like and it really does not matter how, how expensive it is. Right. right, right. Absolutely. Right. Amen. Well, Jamie, I want to thank you uh, on behalf of Dave for doing this for us again. We always, always, always like having you on. Not only are you a wealth of knowledge, but you like to have fun. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? She's a fantastic writer. I mean, Jamie, you write so well. I, I, I enjoy reading your work. 
I really thank do. Thank you. Thank yeah, you both. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, J- Jamie likes to not draw attention to herself with her writing, but she's actually very good at it. And I think she very sells good. herself short. So get out there and keep writing. And um, on our website, when we uh, post this episode, we are actually going to have links to Jamie's stories, her website, uh, so forth and so on. So if you can't get to her website directly, you can actually access it through us. So we will have all this information for you. And again, Jamie, uh, on behalf of Dave, thank you so much for doing this. It was a great time with you and we hope to do it again i hope so too i really enjoyed it as much as ever and i uh, appreciate being invited back thank you